Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 5, Alpine Shepherd Boy. Uh, originally, this was slated to be called Jello. What the Jello. hell happened? I don't know. I didn't have time to listen to The Insider, but I read a couple articles, and there's conflicting reports. One that Vince said that he was going to... It was going to be Jell-O, because the rest of the episode titles I've posted through, like, IMDb, and they're all the O theme. Yeah. And he said that he would change it. He's changed to Alpine Shepherd Boy, and that he would explain the insider cast. And there's a, a good story-based reason for that. I also mm. saw reports that they couldn't get Jell-O to sign off on the licensing of a trademark name. That sounds more reasonable. Which sounds more yeah. like ding, ding, ding. But mm-hmm. I know I um, I'll have to listen to the Insider cast to find out the definitive answer. But sure. um, honestly, Jell-O seemed like a better title. I think so. I, I don't know what Alpine Shepherd Boy has to do with this story. Yeah, frankly. I mean, it's obviously the figurine, uh-huh. but that feels like, a, oh, God, what are we going to name it? We lost Jello. Like, <laughs> sure. every other episode is They should have just named it Matlock. Just gone, tried to get that right, and then... Sure, sure. But then that probably would have gotten refused for me. Although they yep. get, got licensed to use the video, so... They did. They could have gone to Matlock. Oh, well. But no, that was... What do you think of this episode? I I thought this was a fantastic episode. I thought it was great, too. I, this is the one that put me over the top and said, okay, I really like this like show. So many things came together in mm-hmm. you know, really satisfying way. So many very solid comedy points that were yeah. relevant to the actual plot. And the stuff with Jonathan Banks and Mike was compelling as hell. I said the on the forum end, that I sure. thought that long scene where we're just looking at him in the diner emoting about kind of how depressing his life was. It was something like straight out of the Godfather. And I think that it probably challenged some people's attention spans. Oh yeah. Because we're just not used to seeing sticking Mm -hmm. with scenes and like the thing outside of his house Mm -hmm. and waiting for his relief to show up at the troll booth or the (laughs) The troll booth. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Saw you brain bug me uh, at the toll booth. Um, But I thought they were just, they, they needed to be that long to have a point, to to have an artistic point. Sure. I could I could see where some people might think, oh, man, Jim is going to hate this one. Look how long these scenes are and how excruciating some of these scenes are. But in this episode, they're done for very good effect, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's that like... scene with the Alpine Shepherd Boy, with the old lady and her figurines... That was tedious on purpose. Oh, as and, a joke, and it was tedious as the viewer, but it helped uh-huh. us realize that Saul has been there for every single backstory of these figurines. <laughs> He's waited for the lady to <laughs> shuffle over to the stairs to go all the way up. Uh huh. Get the fig- it's like you're just sitting there in that 15 seconds of watching her slide down the rail, mm-hmm. uh, just w- realizing what a hell this was. Oh yeah. And at the end of it, he comes away with $140. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was great. I thought uh, it was great. As regards the Mike scene, you know, where it, it literally takes him through the night into the morning and to the diner. It's like, 
I, I started to think, hmm, they're lingering on him an awful long time. But then they have a guy come out of the lot right after Saul. Yeah. Um, which kind of got me back into it saying, oh, okay, so this guy goes out of the lot without any trouble. Mike's not hassling him. That's funny. Ha ha. And then they get they get my attention just long enough to get them to the diner. So yeah, it was okay. I, it I, I also thought that um, I was a little bit in misdirection because we're lingering on on uh, Mike, and I'm like, oh, we're finally going to see why he's really here. This is going to be a gangster's car or something. Nope, it's yeah. just him going about his business. So, mm-hmm. uh, no, I really liked it. All right, we've got a lot more stuff to talk about when it comes to this, uh, the plot of this. Why don't we talk a little bit about who made it first? Yeah, this was, uh, it seems like the first episode that doesn't have any involvement in the Villa Gang, or maybe these are Villa Gang recruits. Uh, it was directed by Nicole Castle, who has directed quite a few television shows. Uh, this episode of Better Call Saul, five episodes of The Killing, uh, three episodes of The Following, Rectified, an episode of The Americans, Suits, uh, just hmm. tons of stuff. It was written by Bradley Paul, uh, who is another guy who doesn't seem like he has a lot of credits on IMDb. Better Call Saul, Hawaii Five-0, Donkey Face, and the Apocarthy, which <laughs> I don't, you know, and he wrote and directed those last two. Um, and they're from quite some time. So I don't hmm. know. I, I, I'm not sure his connection. Uh, that stuff would probably all be in the Insider cast, which, again, I haven't sure. heard. So, yeah, we're recording this one a little earlier than usual. Yeah, yeah, we had a schedule conflict yesterday or yep. tomorrow. We have, uh, we have, I, I, what the fuck? We had one tomorrow. Yes, yes I feel like somehow I either we were time travelers or uh-huh. fortune tellers, but yeah, we're recording a day early. All right, uh, ready for the recap? Yes, I am. Okay, we start off with Chuck's neighbor watching as the cops pull up to his house uh, through the window. We know that this is the neighbor that he stole the paper from because yep. we saw her at the end of last episode. Uh, they come up, they ask him about stealing the paper, and things completely spiral out of control when he is acting a little weird, and they see through his window he's got a whole bunch of fuel, a whole bunch of candle fuel. Which I guess is used in the production of meth, because they... Is it? Well, they, they I was say wondering. he's a tweak. They they said he's acting like a tweaker, and now he's got all this stuff, so... Yeah. Um, not sure if that meets probable cause. Maybe. I know we have some tweakers in our audience, so <laughs> they can write it and they can tell us. I'm just saying it's like uh, it was very sad to see the cops bust in on this guy. And I kind of wonder, as I was watching the episode, I kind of wondered whether maybe Jimmy will be able to make a little bit of money for himself and his brother going after the city of Albuquerque for the way they handled Hmm. the situation. Because I don't know. I mean, this seems pretty low stakes to bust down someone's door. But then again, you got the war on drugs. Yeah, I thought so too watching it. Um, I know we have email about this. I'm not sure if you pulled that piece or not. But they were basically, um, it's it's our resident lawyer, Doug yeah. L. Uh, yeah, I've got his. I got, okay. I got that email. All right, then I'll, I'll save it for when he chimes in. Sure. Oh, later also on. we got, before I get too much further, we got a ton of email about our uh, Volcano movies. The one oh, yeah, that yeah. was on the tip of our tongue, the 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 uh, bronze one, uh-huh. uh, is Dante's Peak. Yes. So Dante's yeah. Peak and uh, Tommy his, Lee Jones. His mother volcano. melting in a lake. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Sweet. Um, so there are a few things that I really love about this first opening scene uh, that are just really funny. One is th- the way that Chuck continues to go on and on about probable cause as sure. they are leaving the front door, going around the side of his house, and he's still talking about it sure. minutes later. 
thought that was really funny. Um, he's uh, monol- not monologuing. He's uh, filibustering. Grandstanding a little bit, too. Yep. Yeah. He seems like the type. Oh, yeah. He's got... He he's got a crazy encyclopedic knowledge of the law. Yep. That's the one thing that impressed me in this episode is that he's able to cite wide range, like probable cause and all that kind of basic stuff. But he sure. knew like chapter, verse, and section of the rules for committing someone uh-huh. uh, in the course of treatment. I it's like wow, this guy really. When when Chuck said this guy's smarter than you and me put together, you believe it. Yeah, and then the other part where I can see the villain snickering behind the camera is where he's like, definitely, definitely no tasers, and they immediately reach for the taser. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, oh, God, this is going to go badly. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Then uh, we go over to Jimmy. He takes his first call. Uh, well, he takes he takes a meeting with the first call that he got uh, after the billboard incident. And these are his hot leads, man. These hot are. Hot leads. As hot as they come. Uh, he goes out to a ranch in the middle of the desert where this guy tells him, he wants to secede from the United States, and he offers him a million dollars to help him do that. Yeah. Jimmy gets all excited, and when he brings out the money, it is it is sovereign, currency of the sovereign Sandia Republic, <laughs> a million dollars worth, which is worthless to him. Yeah. And it, it was... It's great watching him play this situation and, yeah. like, just like, oh, man, I've got a lunatic... <laughs> that is is rich and i can just yep. milk this for as long as possible uh i've got a different take because i've been in business for myself and the allure of the crackpot uh, number one no, normally they don't have a lot of money but two it's just, it's just not worth it man it's just not worth it because this is the kind of guy if, let's say that was a million u.s dollars yeah he's the kind of guy that a month in his project is screaming and yelling and threatening to sue you for a breach of contract and mm-hmm. Just crazy people aren't worth it. I don't yeah. care how rich they are, is in a relationship, how good the sex is, it's just not worth it. <laughs> uh, yeah, also, I, I, was, I was having a flashback because one of my best friends in high school, his dad was super involved in the militiamen movement. Oh boy! Like in that okay. brief period period of time, like uh, before the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, where it became like you and, know, and after the Patriot came out. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's like you know had big signs in his yard saying uh, what rank and division he was the militiaman and wow he would like every time i got stuck over there he'd harangue me about uh <laughs> how taxes were unjust and uh, you don't have to pay taxes and we're actually citizens of the sovereign states we come from and it's just, that's it's, a very I, alpine shepherd boy scenario right like you're kind of stuck in this situation yeah <laughs> and you're what just do you being do? told about all what these do, do? uh-huh He's a ham radio operator. I mean, just weird dude. But he yeah. would sit and talk about this stuff all fucking day long. I, I do really love the moment where the guy goes away to get the cash and the camera just lingers on Saul and you can tell he's just like, I just got away with robbery. Yeah. yeah. I, I just uh-huh. fucking hit the jackpot. Uh-huh. Cash? This isn't even gonna go this is I, yeah, this isn't gonna go through the sovereign state of the United States. It's gonna stay yeah. in my bank account. And then he comes back with it and it's just yeah, he's crushed. He's crushed. And I, I, I tried to put myself, I was watching, and I tried to put myself in that situation, and I was like, yep, that is exactly how you would react. Situation. situation. I also liked how they, like, you imagine how awkward the turn of conversation is. Oh, with yeah. Like, uh, yeah, well, I'm out of here. And they just show him hastily leaving, like the gates uh-huh. are barely open, and his foreign shitbox is screaming out of there. Yep, good stuff. Uh, call number two. Jimmy finds a guy who wants to patent a disturbingly sexualized <laughs> talking potty training toilet. 
What did you think when they went to the garage and had a blue tarp over that amorphous shape? I didn't really know what to think. I, I was I was just engrossed in letting this episode tell its story. I was, while I was th- watching it. Oh, let's see. I, I, I suffer from trying to predict everything. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I was thinking, oh, God, this is a body. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or this is going to be some weird sexual device like George Clooney, a burn after reading his his dildo saddle well, seesaw you, thing. You weren't entirely wrong, I guess. Yeah, you're right. It, <laughs> it was a sex machine. Just a really oh, disturbing one. Oh, it's so dark. This scene, man. <laughs> And the guy that got playing Roland Jaycox or whatever, mm-hmm. him pantomiming along yeah. with he's like, fill me up, Chandler. <laughs> oh, God, so good. Yep. Yep. That's real good. I, I also love how he has him sign this NDA before showing him this ridiculous invention. Yeah. I've had some experience with people trying to patent crazy shit, too. Uh, and then there are there are kids drawings all over the refrigerators and walls and stuff. Yeah. Which just makes it extra creepy. Yeah. Well, so... Ugh. Um, the thing is, is I think this, I'm almost sure that I've seen a product like this. This isn't a terrible idea for a product. If you replace the dial, you take this and you ship it to Pacific Rim. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. As Uh, is. For, for the Japanese businessman and all that, you know, Uh, that kind of stuff. But it seems like you swap. I I don't, I feel like Jimmy would have taken this taken this guy for like the 15 to 25,000 dollars it takes to do a patent and then if the guy's thing blows up then what is he going to do if he's good for the money he's good for the money so i was kind of I, I believe in Doug's email he also addresses that oh really i think so i think so hopefully we get there cuz you know how i do email i skim i know for whether you rip out large chunks of it and then then i put it in there and i don't i have i kind of like i've read it but i haven't read it sure Sure. So you don't. I, we don't even know if it's in there. Uh, no, I couldn't tell you exactly what the what all subjects he covers. If it's not like, in there, I'll I'll tell you why. What no, it's it's my so. it's my uh, you know I hit myself in a hammer a few, a few times, compile feedback, and that way yep. it's fresh for me when I start the cast. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, then we go to an old lady's house uh, where Jimmy uh, is having to write her figurines into her will in yeah. a very specific manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the ultra tedious scene that works because it's ultra tedious. Yeah. And also they hit a lot of like, I feel like in episode two, the episode two version of this would be 20 minutes of her explaining each and every one of these Hummel figures. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. we they allude to that, and everything kind of stays fresh and relevant. And also, we get the fact that Jimmy is in staying engaged with her, which yep. is kind of sweet. And also, he works up a kind of like "I'll murder you" joke. Oh yeah, that's dark. Like when she's like, "If I was forty years younger, I'd ask you out for pina coladas." He's like, "Well, if you'll work up a DNR with me, I'll bring a pineapple and blender." Like that's <laughs> kind of dark. Uh huh. If you'll do it, do not resuscitate. Uh, number one, give me business. Number two, I will bring something that in your age might kill you. Yeah, I think that's where he was going. Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I love everything about these first three scenes here. I think they work what just happens, as pure comedy. What happens if she has just got, like, you know, the green stands? I was actually looked up, and um, apparently that was like a one of the early rewards programs started in the late 1800s. And it was a giant catalog where stores and all these other places you, they would give you these green stamps 
and reward for your loyalty. And if you saved up enough of the stamps, you could actually order things out of this catalog as a reward. Huh. Okay. And it was going strong until like 1982 or so. And then it's been like a struggle to convert over to the internet. It's still an mm. existing company and they do a kind of a program uh, with this stuff on the web. But when he okay. was saying none of the green, green stamps, he was yeah. like, you know, making an old timers joke. Sure, sure. I, I figured it was something like that, like a finger hut sort of What do you thing, think if she's going in a change purse and she just doesn't have the money? Uh, think... I fully expected that to happen. I did, I expected too. her to reach in and pull out quarters. I wasn't sure what Jimmy was going to do. Yeah. But I liked the fact that he was so giddy. It's like, oh, my God, oh, at least yeah. the day isn't totally lost. I got pizza money. <laughs> And the way he snaps it away and yeah. puts it in his pockets, like this is not coming out of my pocket. He starts to count it and then he kind of realizes, oh God, this is gauche. I gotta, you know, <laughs> yeah, surely she yeah. didn't short me. And what if she did? Who cares? Yeah. And he saw her count it. It's like, what? He, really? Yeah. Good. But he's great, a con man. He's a con man. He knows how to do all those scams. That's true. She could have <laughs> uh, shortchanged him or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jimmy paints Kim's toenails at the salon, mm-hmm. and she they're they're talking, uh, flirting a little bit, flirting a little bit. Saul or Jimmy kind of hints at asking her out, you know, like maybe, hey, let me make your evenings more exciting, make your oh, days more exciting. That's what she thought he was doing. I thought yeah. he was trying. I think he's been trying to recruit her. I, I think it was both. Okay, I think it was both. I think he it's might... more the recruiting than the date, but who knows? Potentially. I don't know. But painting someone's toenails is not an entirely non-sexual thing. Sure. It's kind of like, uh, I guess this is the version of the Jesse cutting Rick's hair from The Walking Dead. <laughs> okay. The, the, yeah. The, 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 you know, it's like, yeah, it's not entirely sexual, but it's also uh-huh. kind of, you know, uh, it, it's not exactly sex. It's funny because I've gotten a, a, a pedicure from a dude. All right. So it's like you saying it's not trisexual has got me very, very <laughs> uncomfortable over here. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> got some things to think about, Aaron. I have to th- reevaluate all my life choices. I had, no, but, I didn't you know, even but, see it. I was I, too close okay. to the situation. I am not imagining the scenario in where you get your toenails painted to be in the dark at you know a salon what? that the shut down name, in the evening. The dude's name was Kim to make it even weirder. Really? Oh, no. I'm not sure it's his first or last name, but it definitely oh, was no. Kim. Uh, <laughs> You're questioning your life choices here. All right, fine. Um, uh, anyway, she well, you suggests... better, uh, better find out at age 38 than, you know, this is only going downhill. If I'm going to switch teams, that's, <laughs> this is as good as it gets. I, need, right. to, I need to get, get work on getting cut. For sure. Uh, so she suggests that he move into elder law, which I guess is a thing. No, it totally is. Like, I, I, I know it's a thing, but I don't know if it's called elder law. Yeah, it is. It's called elder law? Mm-hmm. What else would you call it? Old folk law? (laughs) No, I didn't know that it would have a name. Just like, I guess there's a name for a group of services. And it's a very specific need. Uh, I knew a person that worked on... Like, what would you call Better Call Saul? Like, that's a group of services that... Doesn't oh, really have a name, but law. it is, <laughs> but it is grouped together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I thought the elder law was here. Mm. Sounds like something from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, the elder law must not be violated, or Cthulhu, or something. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, and I think it would be a good fit. I thought it was interesting because he makes this very altruistic pitch later on to his brother, and then it's like, no, this is the way Jimmy would do elder law in this in the sleaziest yet kind of uh-huh. sweet manner possible. Yep, 
Uh, and then she gets a call from Hamlin saying, presumably, that Chuck is in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, I think that's obvious. Anyway, uh, I thought it was cool to see a lawyer with a shitty cell phone because it's 2002 in this show. And Kim has a really shitty cell phone. That might have been a good cell oh, phone. Oh, I know. Yeah. Okay. Now, nowadays, it's sure. pretty shitty. Uh, so Jimmy shows up at Chuck's hospital bed, turns off all the electrical devices, explains that he is allergic to electricity. Had a nice little um, fluorescent lighting cam. Oh, yeah. Out down through, yeah, the, down through the, the tubes. The lights, yeah. Uh, the doctor does a demonstration by turning on a, a device that Chuck doesn't know about. Sure. And he doesn't react to it. And then she says, uh, maybe we should commit this guy. Mm-hmm. Jimmy is not having any of that, especially when Hamlin shows up and says, hey, you should not commit this guy. So do you think Jimmy knew that his brother's condition was bullshit before now? Because I, I the, think so. I kind of get the feeling that he knows deep down in his heart. Yeah. But also there's a little bit of a doubt because, you know, it is his brother and he is so smart. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, well, maybe it's not 100% real, but it's also there's something there. Yeah. No, I think his illusions about his brother are slowly being shattered. Mm. Yeah. And he, he is buying into it a little bit, but And I think the, the, the big moment is later on in the episode where his brother, like, acute attack instantly ends as soon as him and Jimmy come to an understanding. Yeah. It, it strikes me as just him trying to get attention or throwing a temper tantrum, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean... Guilting Jimmy into doing y- what he wants. You wonder what brought this on. What event two years ago... Oh, yeah. Hit him so hard. And I don't think it involved Jimmy because that seemed like it was even further in the past. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened that caused him to go start doing this? Good question. I think we'll probably find out by the end of this. Uh, anyway, I <laughs> there's another really funny moment here that is so subtle. I'm not sure anybody uh, picked up on it. When he is listing the symptoms that he's got, he's yeah. like, oh, uh, chronic pain and burning um, and swelling and burning and then he starts to say genital something and they cut him off <laughs> i don't know what he i don't know where he was going with that yeah but me either it was pretty funny no, yeah well most things involving genitals are yes always uh so there there's some really dramatic stuff in here too right like i mean when she when the doctor is questioning you know is are the things that you're doing enabling him or helping him and i was conflicted man because on the one hand, there's people with mental illnesses and neuroses that can be returned to fully functional members of society and would be very much happier if they can just get through the process that they need to return to, to health sure. or take the medication they need or whatever. On the other hand, I hate this heavy-handed, well, he's a danger to himself. Is he? Like, he's living he the way candles. everyone lived 100 years ago. Fuck off. Yeah, fuck off that you're going to commit this guy for 30 days because of him being eccentric. Yeah. And he's kind of on the border where this is crippling to him. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's like, I don't, I don't know where society's obligation to help people live their best, most authentic life and safe and, and community safety ends and uh, an individual's freedom begins. But I'm pretty yeah. sure it's not this fucking line. And I was kind of mildly no. offended on it, Chuck's behalf through the cop and through this doctor and everything else. Well, it's definitely not this line because they allow him to take Jimmy home or Chuck home. No, but she's so, strong arming him. Like if oh, you yeah. really care, it was like, what the hell do you know about it? You've met us sure. for 30 minutes. No, she clearly has an opinion on this yeah. and it's probably more valid than most people considering she's a doctor. Yeah. But 
I I think you know he has a right to choose. Jimmy has a right to choose sure. um, what to do about this, and and ultimately they do take him home. So and also it's like I mean he's not so far gone that it it's it'd be much better if he himself decides he needs this. Oh yeah, you know what that I'm would saying? be ideal certainly. And like I just didn't buy the argument that he's so far gone that he needs to be committed. That's such a such a big step to take. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I. I really struggled with how I felt about this as I was watching it and mm-hmm. uh, mostly touched by how much of his brother's back he has. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, you, you can tell that Jimmy definitely cares about Chuck. A lot. And I kind of was surprised at that. Chuck didn't realize, I, cause I thought what we were watching this is that was the arc it was going to take that. And I guess they did reconcile, mm-hmm. but I felt like it was very much, um, where Chuck was resisting like the full kind of like forgiveness, clean slate kind of thing that I almost think that Jimmy deserves for being this understanding about his brother's bullshit. <laughs> sure. But on the other yeah. hand, if you know, like I said, last episode, if Jimmy had only gone with the showmanship angle from the beginning, none of this would ever happen. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Uh, so when Hamlin comes in here and uh, tells Jimmy that he should not commit Chuck. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking about, you know, the the caper that Jimmy just pulled right. on Hamlin and Hamlin potentially realizing that and maybe wanting to pay him back in kind. I wonder how deep mm. Hamlin's thinking goes here. Because I think Jimmy's got him pegged 100% accurate. You think so? Yeah. That He's he, not trying to double reverse anything? No, he wants okay. he wants uh, his brother to sit at home collecting his $800 a week checks instead of cashing them out for a third of the business. This is an extremely selfish so. uh, and and fairly transparent ploy. And if Kim didn't see it before, she's got to see it now. Yeah. And I thought that was the, you know, that was the brilliant part of his gambit of like the well, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him committed. Mm-hmm. You know that, and, and we're we we know enough about Jimmy slash Saul to like, ooh, that actually could happen. He could like, you know, he could commit his brother just out of spite or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was gratified to see he hasn't. I was wrong about him. Yeah, that would have felt like too abrupt of a change to me. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. It didn't happen, so I haven't. But as I, as I was watching, I'm like, wow, is this really going to happen? And I'm like, well, it's not completely inconsistent with his character. Mm-hmm. So, and he's also, I do feel like when he said, you know what, I was on the fence, but fuck it, I'm going to commit him now just to spite you. Uh, I do believe he is very kind of like forty sixty on this whole deal. Oh yeah. Yeah, he. You can tell there are a couple shots when they're talking that he feels like eh, maybe this is the right decision. Sure. to commit him. Anyway, Jimmy takes him home, and he promises slipping Jimmy is not back. It was a one-time thing. Uh, I was advertising. I needed publicity to get the ball rolling, and I'm moving into elder law. I found my specialization, and this miraculously makes Chuck feel better. Yeah, I love Chuck's. You can. Chuck seems like he's a very straight-laced attorney. Like he was railing against the it's like you know advertising wasn't even allowed until five oh, Supreme yeah. Court justices lost their mind, uh-huh. and we were talking about like you know what you can can advertise and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I I thought that was that was interesting, and I also yeah. love Chuck's blankie man. Uh, that is such an awesome character mm-hmm. thing. Um, it, it gives you an insight you into that. his mood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it pretty really, well. It, yeah. It's such a great little prop. 
And like the brilliant cold open where it's just the space blanket <laughs> contracting as he's breathing. Yeah. And you like, couldn't, I was like, at? Am, am I, I, am I inside the blanket looking out or outside uh-huh. looking in or what the hell? And <laughs> it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Good stuff. Um, and then we go to Jimmy taking notes on Matlock's clothes. <laughs> well, you didn't even know. You don't know right away. Yeah. You're like, is he writing down closing arguments from Matlock? <laughs> like, I would buy that. Sure. And then they show you the close-up of his pad, and you're like, oh. Yeah. Oh, he's going to dress up just like Matlock, like he's, he did with Hamlin. He's nailing the Matlock, man. Yeah. It's it's genius. I This is another like stand-up-and-cheer moment during the episode. Yeah. Where he, he then shows up at the nursing home dressed like Matlock. Uh, trying to charm the old people. Can I say something though? Because I I still haven't quite pegged this show's tone. Like <laughs> it's it's like seventy thirty comedy and drama. Well, but yeah, and that's what I'm always thinking. Like, as we are we as the audience supposed to get this? Like in a Simpsons, Grandpa Simpsons, I want Matlock. Like all senior citizens see Matlock as this crusading oh, yes. savior for the old people. Oh yeah. Or are we supposed to see this as being like? This is a transparent ploy, even like that. That that. But they're eating it up like it's Jello, man. They are eating that up. Hmm. He's going around. He's shaking hands. He's giving hugs. Yeah, I think they're eating it up. Yeah, and yeah. I I wouldn't attribute it all to Matlock. I mean, he's certainly being nice and charming, and the Jello like doesn't that. hurt. But I'm like, yeah. So I guess that's somewhat problematic because I don't know. It feels like it's very. It's very uh, condescending to old people. Sure. In sure. in a very straight-up Simpsons way, but this isn't mm-hmm. The Simpsons. That's... Like, I wouldn't have a problem with Grandpa Simpson saying that because he's a gross parody and stereotype of old people uh-huh. f- for, comment, for, for, like, a lot of purposes. You know, they examine our own attitudes about old people and just because it's funny and uh-huh. all that. All, the way the best, best comedy kind of pokes light at things. Whereas this show, I'm not so sure. You know, I think... Like, I, I wish I could this... have seen at least some of the old people, like, smiling to his face and taking a jello and then kind of rolling their eyes. Like, yeah, a little bit of awareness that these are, fuck, you know, these are people. I think Villigan not... likes to get a little bit broad with his comedy sometimes. Yeah, and maybe too broad in this case. Some Sometimes a little too broad, yes, I think so. Um, for me, it mostly worked, and I think it usually does. Because uh, he always has that kind of just edgy twinge to it as well with, like, the sex toilet. Um, but but sometimes, you know, he just goes a little too far with that. But some people said that that was too far. Like, they thought that, that was, I, I got a couple pieces of feedback that that was tedious for them, the sex toilet. Tedious? Just or, a little or bit like, oh, I mean, it's, like, it's one of those things that's a one-note joke. It is, yeah. And it just went on for a little too long, whereas I I was enjoying... You know, they they kept throwing a little bit enough variety. Like just when I was getting tired of the <laughs> dropping the thing in there, they cut to a different angle, and then you got the guy pantomiming his belly being full. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah. to me, I was I was so surprised by the tone that the scene was taking mm-hmm. that at first I wasn't sure I was reading it right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, they, and I was like, oh, that sounds a little that. Are you talking about the toilet weird? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they also slowly ramped it up. Like they it started did, like well, maybe maybe that just hit me as being creepy. But then uh-huh. three remarks in, it's like, oh no, yeah, give it to me. Oh, <laughs> you're so big, Chandler. <laughs> Good God, that's terrible, man. Yeah, but that's what uh, I felt like with the old folk home. I I wish I could have seen a couple of like shrewd old folk. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, well. There's always next episode. Uh, <laughs> I, I really love how he's got <laughs> a couple of things here that really just tickle me. The the printing on the bottom of the Jello cups, <laughs> where he's like, uh, need a will, call McGill. Uh-huh. He's got his face under there. Right. That's great. And but then also his face is kind of like not printed right. Did you notice? Oh, is it? it? Was, it's, no, it, I, I it. Maybe I thought Or maybe so. there was like jello over it or something. Yeah, it was very distorted, like, mm-hmm. okay. And all, and it felt like the old lady was having a hard time, like, what is this even saying? It's probably a pretty cheap You need uh, large print. print. Job. You need to get, you need a bigger yeah. jello cup, larger print. Uh, and then the other thing that I really liked is when he goes up and he shakes that guy's hand. He's like, careful, that's my will writing hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jimmy finally gets the correct stickers to get out of the lot, gives them to Mike, and uh, gives gives them to the elderly Mike, sure, um, who he labels as such, and Mike doesn't much like that. No. And then we follow Mike through the night into the morning and out to a diner where he has Brenner, Brenner breakfast dinner. Mm. Uh, that's his dinner, I guess. Yeah. Okay, I've never heard of that, but that's been working all day. I like that. Okay. <laughs> More of a brunch man myself, but yeah. Brenner works yeah. too. Uh, I and this, like I said before, I really like how they show somebody leaving the lot with no trouble whatsoever. Right after he says, most people get it right on the first time. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Uh, anything else you want to say about this scene? Or uh, were we just kind of like considering the whole end of the episode as a whole? Or uh, No, I was going to I was gonna take us through to the end here. No, I guess like, again, really like the scene of him sitting in the diner. Yeah. And, you know, I think all these long, streamlined, long shots of Mike going about his life just shows how sad and lonely it all is and has us as breaking bad fans like wondering what the hell yeah what the hell man we've seen this this guy do so many dynamic awesome things yeah where how how and why and we start to understand yeah what has lured him to albuquerque yep uh so he's sitting outside a woman's house and she stops to give him the stink eye as she drives by uh we don't really know what that's about i have some guesses based on breaking bad um but then he goes home, he watches TV, and the cops come to his door, and he apparently knows them. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those two scenes. Well, I mean, the only possibility I ever considered, although we got some feedback otherwise, is that that is his daughter. Yep. Who later he, you know, somehow we were introduced to his granddaughter. Yeah. Who we know is important to. Um, I got the feeling that, like, whatever went down in Philly was bad enough that she's not so happy to see him, that there might be restraining orders involved. Mm-hmm. Um and which you think might tie into the end of it yeah when the cops because, show up although was this the same day it felt like the same day to me i'm know. like how if these it felt are like people, just like 30 minutes later and then i i kind of feel like maybe my my first instinct was well these are people from philadelphia and, and he's kind of been on the lamb and now they've caught up to him because his daughter dropped a dime on him yeah but like how the hell did they get from there so quickly yeah he definitely knows him and he knows he that he shouldn't be in albuquerque him. Yeah, but yeah. So if they're from Philly, they I don't see how they made <laughs> they, it out there. They would have had to have already been there. Yeah, that would be really weird. So maybe this is days later. I don't. I don't know. Could be, but there's nothing in the the filming that made me think that. No. Um. And also, it's like you know, my next th- thought was, well, uh, he's going to need a good lawyer. So why does he call Jimmy? I'm assuming he's going to call Jimmy. He's got to, yeah. But he gave him his card this episode. Yeah, but I'm wondering. I don't know. Maybe Mike saw something in him that uh, he he that the normal person wouldn't see. Yeah, with the case of the Kettleman's, you know, be able to track all that stuff down. But on uh-huh. the other hand, you know, 
I don't know if you call the elder law guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I I thought it was. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how to read the long stare that he gets from this woman. I feel like it might have been her trying to decide whether or not to leave her house with him sitting out there for some reason. Because she kind of like I, takes I, a long moment to think. Like, but it was also like him. processing a shock, right? Yeah. Yeah, it could have been. And then uh, he just looked deflated after she, you yeah. know, he had the, like he was holding, you didn't even know it, but he was holding his breath because he let it out and sighed. And yeah. Um, yeah, that was a high stakes stare yeah that didn't go in his favor sure and i'm not certain that we're supposed to know exactly what it means yet i mean i'm so totally fine with that yeah i'm very curious about how this is going to link him back to jimmy and how it furthers you know i mean i'm very eager to find out more about uh, mike whatever the outcome b plot launched we are ready to go yeah uh and good job for them like you know they in the last two hours we got like 10 15 minutes of mike Mm-hmm. And we, I, I'm glad they didn't overexpose him because I was really, really looking forward to, you know, like he was able to carry those scenes. The last 10 minutes of the episode is essentially Jonathan Banks emoting yeah. <laughs> in various yeah. locations. Sure. So <laughs> I thought it was excellent. With various beverages. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's the end of the episode. Do you like what Jim and I are doing here on Bald Move? Do you want to keep it going? Because honestly, we could use your help. We've created a new in-house uh, funding program called Club Bald Move. You can find the pitch at club.baldmove.com. And we're really counting on people signing up. We've tried to make it as fan-friendly as possible. You can join up for as low as a dollar a month. A dollar a month. And what do you get for that? You get ad-free podcasts, so you don't have to ever have to listen to me drone on and on and on about this bull crap again. Uh, you get access to exclusive uh, online video features, such as Lunch with Jim and Aaron. Uh, you get uh, live streaming video podcasts. So, you know, you want to tune in immediately after your favorite show and hear us give one of our instant takes. Do you want to wait the extra hour for it to be released or do you just want to jump on and listen to it? Uh, do you want VIP forum access? Do you want uh, access to our live watching technology so you can actually watch select shows with us in real time? All that and more at club.baldmove.com. Again, it's as low as a buck a month, a buck a month for all that content, and you're helping us succeed and continue our operations. Keep our doors open. That's important. If you like listening to podcasts, you have to have the guys podcasting to make it happen. <laughs> That's so I hear, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if we don't get at least 10 subscriptions a week, we die. We literally die. Yeah, no, It's I... like a reverse Jimmy electricity blanket. If we don't have these bits flowing in... <laughs> It's just white light, tasers, and we're in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And then what? PayPal doesn't reach hospitals. They have a fire. All PayPal is fi- is, is is firewalled from hospitals. Is that true? That, is, that must be true. Is that what you want on your hands? Yeah. Do you want us to die from lack of PayPal funds? We need you to be our Jimmy. We need you to show up, and we need you to enable our bizarre, eccentric lifestyle of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Please enable us. Go to club.baldmove.com to find out how you can do that. Be our Jimmy. What do we have for feedback? Uh, first of all, I asked some questions about the Jewish stereotypes as they pertain to the practice uh, of law last episode. I remember episode. that. And yep. uh, I got a very nice email from Matt S. who says, as a Jewish attorney myself, 
I could think I can lend some insight. I'll preface this by saying that I didn't take offense to your comments because I don't think they came from a place of hate or bigotry or anything like that. I appreciate the benefit of the doubt. But yes, the Jewish lawyer stereotype is bigoted, not racist. We aren't a race, man. <laughs> Obviously. First, yeah, you say that, but I don't think I... <laughs> you, I you say that. You say it's obvious, but no, there's it's definitely, there's a difference. Uh, first of all, the objective... The adjective crafty is certainly negative. It implies sneaky like a weasel. Not if you're asking the Beastie Boys. <laughs> which is a Jewish stereotype, not the Beastie Boys. Crafty. Yes. Which is a Jewish stereotype that has been around forever. The stereotype that we are conniving and will do anything that helps the bottom line. A great example of the stereotype is the attorney from The Wire. He's one of the most purely evil people on the show when you think about it, and he is the epitome of the Jewish stereotype. Secondly, anytime you generalize about people and stereotype, even if you think it's a positive stereotype, can still be offensive. The implication that we are different than "quote unquote" normal people, that we aren't average Americans like the rest of you, that we aren't uh, that we are a kind of subset of people isolated from everyone else. You're take we're taking your spots as power brokers in Hollywood, your spots in colleges, your spots at big Whoa. accounting. I feel threatened. Yeah, I, honestly, I feel threatened. I, I didn't have anything about Jews, but I'm you know this is this is scary. No. Oh. Uh, uh, no, I'm. Wow, people think that. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think I'm deserved. I'm owed a spot anywhere. No, no, <laughs> no. But <laughs> I don't even own this spot. Literally, this is Jim's bedroom that I'm I'm, I'm squatting in. Um, uh, is that a little sensitive? Maybe. But when your parents slash grandparents, depending on age, either got thrown into ovens and gas chambers or had to flee their homes and families. Escape from the Nazis, you get a little sensitive about these things. Sure. And finally, yes, a lot of Jewish humor is self-deprecating. That doesn't give other people the right to make fun of us. I refer you to the anti-Dentite episode of yep. Seinfeld to bring the Cranston Breaking Bad Better Call Saul thing full circle. All right. Thank you for setting me straight, Matt. I appreciate that. Sure. So no more comments ever about Jews on this podcast because we clearly don't understand it well enough. It's weird, though. Because, like, it bled over to when we were doing a House of Cards coverage, there was something where someone was talking about, you know, I've had a lot of experience dealing with the Jews, yeah. and I can state, and I'm like, is that right? Like, wait, he yeah. actually is talking about dealing with he the Jewish state of interacted Israel. interacted a lot with, yes. <laughs> and he's got 20 years of state experience. I don't uh, think that's bigoted, but it's <laughs> it's interesting. It's on, I got, I got, it's on my radar. Sure. Uh, Nate M said, wanted to bring something uh, up to you that I was sure you guys were going to talk about, but didn't. Around uh, a 38-minute mark in Nacho... Mike agrees to help the cops pressure Saul into rolling on Nacho. When the three of them walk up to Saul and the cops demand him to give up his client, Saul responds, I'm the definition of a broken record. Nacho is Nacho Man. The camera then cuts to Mike, who has a look on his face. To me, it's a look of reevaluating Saul, perhaps thinking, how does this guy know Nacho? This guy is good with puns. When I saw this scene, I immediately thought Mike knows who Nacho is and has some relationship with him. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> I feel like we'll know in the next episode. Like, yeah, this theory was on more firm ground before this episode. This episode makes it seem like Mike is just a dude that's trying to reconnect with something from his past. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that says it couldn't be true. I just haven't seen anything that says it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, sometimes, you know, looks can be very, uh, can can give away a lot of information. A whole uh, episode. But I didn't, I didn't read that. A whole episode it. without Nacho. I thought that was yeah. interesting. That's fine. 
That's fine. No, I'm fine with two. I just thought, you know... I mean, it's been, been almost two episodes without Nacho. The the very beginning of the last episode... Well, he threatened him pretty... I'm Well... Was, was we, it. That was the last time we saw him. And we still don't know what Nacho took away from that conversation. Yes. So I'm curious. And I feel like we'll know in the next episode or two if there's a Mike connection there or not. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a situation where Jimmy will help Mike and then Mike will help Jimmy with Nacho. There you go. Uh, Jim JJ said, what do you guys think of Battle Creek? This is the new Vince Gilligan project. Haven't seen it. I know the Villigan created the show before Breaking Bad, and I don't know how involved he is with the show. To me, the first episode feels like a buddy cop movie and maybe Lethal Weapon or Beverly Hills Cop. It's clever and funny, but sure isn't very deep. Um, I have no relationship with the show whatsoever. Which Lethal Weapon? Lethal, lethal Weapon, like, one or Lethal Weapon six? The, the, uh, the, uh, Joe Pesci one. <laughs> that's a inside joke for always sunny people ah oh yes yes, yes <laughs> of course uh no i've got so much tv on my plate uh, other than the stuff that we're covering right now walking dead better call Saul, justified yeah i'm watching uh trying to keep up uh with downton abbey girls portlandia always sunny oh my Banshee, god archer that's just like my steady state uh, man plate. i've had to drop like all of my favorites i haven't seen i've only seen two episodes of always sunny this season I've seen like one episode of Archer. Ah, too much TV. Too much good good TV on. It's right tough, now. but it's like, yeah, um, yeah. This winter has been crazy. How much stuff has hit all at once? Yeah. So yeah, I don't see my myself taking on Battle Creek, but um, I don't know if anybody sends any feedback. Maybe you guys can hook up in the forums. Yeah. Uh, Elise K said I was watching SNL on the DVR last night, and Michael Che's childhood friend Riblet. Shared this piece of trivia. The name of the actor who played Chewbacca is Peter Mayhew. Mm-hmm. It's interesting giving Skinny Pete and Brandon Mayhew, a.k.a. Badger, are obsessed with Star Wars. Is that his sly inside joke? Potentially. Yeah, why not? Uh, also, my husband and I were watching episode 306 of Breaking Bad, Sunset, when Hank is on the prowl for the RV. He finds the Bounder lookalike in the campground and busts in on Ma and Pa Kettle <laughs> playing cards in her underwear. Yes, those cute characters were identified as Ma and Pa Kettle in the credits. Oh. Was this an intentional leap on the Villigan's part to connect us to the Kettleman's, also fans of the great outdoors? I say yes. I say that Vince seems like the type of guy. So he went back and better call Saul and said, you know what? There was a scene of uh, It's just like RV when, people. when you're coming up with names, I'm sure there's some brainstorming and some giggling in the writer's room. And he's like, I got it. It's the Kettleman's. Sure. We need some guys who are campers. They type of people to own a boat. You know, I, I can see that. All right. Are these are is this like the son or daughter of those kettlemans? Those those son uh, of mom pa kettle? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and I have nothing. I funny might be to reaching. Say, so. I might be reaching. Kristen said, "Did you guys notice the no grace period sign on Mike's yep. booth? Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very clever grammatical Easter egg that could also be read as no grace period." <laughs> yep, uh, uh-huh. I'm certain that was deliberate. Five miles per hour in that parking lot, too. Well, you know. That's pretty slow. That's pretty slow. Even in a parking lot. It's a brisk, that's a brisk wa- uh, walking yeah. pace. Hmm. Well, no. I don't know. What is a brisk walking pace? I think four, four and a half is brisk walk. Just like you're starting to run walk? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael McBee said, I gotta say, I love this episode. To start off with the great humor of the one million dollars, and don't even <laughs> get me started on the dirty, dirty toilet. But what's up with Mike? I think we're finally getting to the reason behind his, the Man Trout's exile. My working theory is as follows. All of his previous full measures from Philly had caught up with him. Also, why I think the cops are at his house and they knew 
uh, and he knew the arresting officer. Also, I believe his daughter got married and moved out there to mainly get away from her parents or perhaps just him. Which, by the way, I believe mm. that's whose house he was sitting in, fr- in front near the end of the episode. And the fact that she recognized him but didn't say a word to him would be a good way to show an estranged relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. I 100% buy that. Yep. I just don't know about these cops from Philly ca- catching up with them. The timeline's a little muddy for that. Uh, Shep says, it wasn't mentioned in four- 104 cast, but I'm sure you observed Jimmy checking out and wanting to go with an orange dress shirt. He wasn't locked into making himself a Hamlin clone. Perhaps we'd have seen some of that saw flamboyance a little sooner. <laughs> At the very end, when Ch- uh, Chuck practically covers himself in the space blanket, I couldn't help but think of Jiffy Pop. You two may be too young to know what the hell I'm talking about, but maybe some fellow listeners will get a chuckle out of it. Yeah, Jiffy Pop is... Hell, it was a big week for Jiffy Pop. Sto- stovetop popcorn. You, you had the... Uh, aluminum foil top. Yep. It was like all-in-one frying pan, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, I thought it was interesting that uh, not only did you have Chuck in the Jiffy Pop get up, but you also had Jiffy Pop on the Americans. Oh, big, you did. Big yeah. week for Jiffy Pop. <laughs> They're getting their sponsorships Creepy. in there. Creepy week for Jiffy Pop. Product placement. Can you still get Jiffy Pop? I feel like it's all microwave popcorn now. I'm almost positive you can, but I don't know where. <laughs> I want to say that like, um, like camping equipment. Like if you go to if you go to uh, like okay. a Dick's that or makes a, a lot of REI, sense. it might not even be Jiffy Pop. But they still have that kind of thing being sold because that's you know that's that's a great thing to have for a campfire. Oh yeah, makes a lot of sense. Great way to have blackened popcorn, I imagine. Uh, Doctor Ken from Chicago says, "I thought the sex toilet thing was funny as a scene as a funny as a scene has been on the show. I'd have thought as when we saw Mike. What if Mike's quote unquote granddaughter was actually his own daughter? Wait, what?" See, what if Mike's granddaughter, the Hungry Hunger Hippos, is uh-huh. actually his daughter, which implies that this woman is his lover and not his daughter? Seems like that's probably not the case, but it would that, take things up hmm. a notch and certainly change your perspective on what you thought you knew. Yeah, I think you're reaching. Uh, that yeah. daughter is pretty young and Mike is pretty old. Yeah. Well, I mean, that shit happens all the time, but... But he's pretty old, man. I mean, in real life, he mm. would be like 60 having a kid. That's... That's that's up there. Yeah, but dudes, it's not the same thing. Like guys are, I know, but firing live rounds for, for a long. I mean, I don't even know if we ever run out. Never. You're never gonna run out, huh? <laughs> that's quite the goal. Uh, yeah. So, and unless I myself expire, the ammunition does not have an exp- expiration, a separate expiration date. Is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Gotcha. I don't know. I mean. Maybe, maybe sperm do get all crippled and, and, and old and we need just a doctor go around in circles. To answer this. Medical doctor? Yeah. All right. Uh let's see here. Um yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I can go along with that. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting theory, but uh and if and if you're right, then respect because he called it. Pavlov Bell from New York says, I assume they couldn't uh, secure permission. This is the feedback I was talking about. I assume they couldn't secure permission to use Jello for the title. I'm puzzled by how much Gilligan hates coming up with the episode titles. One would think that's one of the best parts about writing an episode. I agree. I mean, we certainly have a a lot of fun when we are coming up with titles for Blue Yonder. Mm -hmm. Like, if you just make up any old random thing and then have people play the name game, and that seems pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty low effort fun at that. Uh, I thought this was a step down from the previous episode. It felt disjointed and the pacing was odd. And while I understand that it's Saul's origin story and that Jimmy is struggling to be good, mostly because of his brother, I hope the show doesn't get formulaic with this. I was touched by how Saul genuinely cares for Chuck, 
but the episode is saved by the mic segment, and next week looks promising. Uh, wow. Pavlov's dissenting from the Better Call Saul love. Yeah, see, I, I might have agreed with you a couple of weeks ago when I was thinking this show is going to be a lot like Breaking Bad. Uh, the show isn't really a lot like Breaking Bad. It's similar, but it feel like it feels to me like the drama and comedy are flipped. Yeah. Like, even though they said, yeah, we toned down the comedy a lot because we realized that wouldn't really work. And I'm glad, because this isn't slap st- slapstick. Sure, it's not slapstick, but there is a lot of comedy in this. Yeah. And I, at some point watching this episode, realized that and said, okay, that's what this show is. I'm on board with that. I think I It's going to be that... different, but I'm going to have fun with it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of found my footing last episode where I'm like, this, yeah, if you just yeah. look at this as a comedy... A lot of the problems go away. Um, our resident lawyer, Doug L., said this week featured a number of interesting legal issues, so I'll try to touch on them all quickly. Number one, the Republic of One. You can't secede from the United States. This one may seem kind of obvious, but every few years, someone gets the bright idea to try it. It never works. You can become a citizen of another country and give up U.S. citizenship. But as long as you're on U.S. land, you're bound by U.S. law. I always thought that was kind of sad about the age we live in is there is nowhere you can go to just start over maybe antarctica but it's gonna be tough no it's fucking owned by some u.n treaty and you can't just squat on antarctica like they gotta come enforce that too so i sure they would (laughs) seriously a dude goes down there and camps and builds an igloo and you're gonna i don't know send in the marines i look at how much trouble that the dudes from sealand have had that's true and that's true that's harming nobody Pretty open and cut uh, cases of micronation as you can get. Yeah. Sadly, it's kind of more of a joke anymore. But sure. I, I don't. I don't know. So what I would really be interested in is, and I've seen several schematics and sketches for this is like an aquatic floating community in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if some like some rich people got together and built this elaborate structure? And- hey, man. Yes, that's that's a good idea. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, please do. Uh, I've been saying for years that Bill Gates should build a fucking moon base. What is he doing still moon, living moon on this planet? Moon base is a little... He's got the money. He's got, he's got the, you it's can't not tell the me. money, it's the neighborhood. That place sucks. <laughs> you does. get a leak in your house and you're dead. <laughs> Micrometeor, dead. And that's the price of being the first man to live on the moon. <laughs> uh, come on. Um, so... But I think, like, I, you don't even have to be that rich to get, like, I, this shows you kind of my mind. Uh, in recent weeks, I've talked about uh, investigating old Minutemen missile silos. Yep, yep. And I've actually looked into buying um, old abandoned oil derricks. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, most of those are actually The ones in, that are rusting into the sea. <laughs> most of those are actually in, like, sovereign U.S. waters and, yeah. and other owned. But it's like you could, you, I'm sure you could tow one out. And it's certainly spacious enough to hold uh, several families. Like, oh, yeah. why hasn't anyone done that? Why are rich people so fucking boring with their money? You think you think the moon is a bad neighborhood? The ocean's not much better. Yeah, but at least you're a helicopter ride from like malls and you know grocery stores and doctors. You're, trust me, you're not going to have the money to operate a helicopter if you're buying derelict mining vessels nah, 15 minutes like you know like it's it's Derelict big people money rigs. right but if you're like is, warren yeah. buffett sure sure you can have helicopters you can certainly do that like yeah. why why don't we have a james bond villain i don't know i don't know what's stopping them god damn do <laughs> common, something cool with your money sense. people or give your bill give a billion to me 
and I will do something cool. Sure. I will take it upon. Let's, I will be the moon base guy. Let's start a Twitter campaign to get Elon Musk to move out to an oil, <laughs> a derelict oil facility. Sure, sure. In the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, he can <laughs> he can just link a whole bunch of his Tesla vehicles mm-hmm. uh, and like have a floating mat of Tesla vehicles that yeah. he can then build on. Sure. Moving on to sex toilet. Jimmy almost certainly could not have taken this gig even if he wanted to. Damn it. To get a patent approved, the attorney handling it has to be a member of the patent bar, a special certification above and beyond the normal law license. To get it, you must have an undergraduate degree in a hard science like physics or chemistry. Wow. Either Jimmy doesn't have this degree and he can't take the case, or perhaps he actually has the science background, and that could be an interesting character point. Or he has a science degree from the University of America, Samoa, which who the hell knows what kind of footing we're on there. Yep. Yep. Uh, number three, did the cops have the right to kick down Chuck's door? This one is debatable, but probably yes. The police need probable cause to enter your home and search it. They normally require a warrant to do this, except in certain emer- circumstances. The applicable doctrine here is extingency, meaning time is of the essence. Mm-hmm. Here, Chuck admitted the theft to them, so there was a colorable danger he could destroy the physical evidence. Who boy, 50 cents, 50 cent crime. Yep. Even though we as the audience would not expect Chuck to do that in determining whether the police made the right call, you always judge them based on what a reasonable officer would have done given the facts that an officer should have known at the time. Well, why don't we judge them on what a unicorn would have done? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Another Ollie Sunny reference? No. What was that one? No, it was just a reasonable offer, officer being a mythical creature. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Never mind. Um, And what they knew was a mentally unstable and in a space blanket person stole the newspaper and refused entry because he's afraid of electricity. Not a hard call to make. Is that is that really true? Like, I feel like if a lawyer is telling you it is so probably. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying like over a 50 cent crime. I I don't know breaking it down and tasing a man. Of course, I've seen crazier sure. things happen just this year. So whatever or last year. Yep. The police had also had a right to peer in the windows. They were accessible from the street and the curtains were open. If you're leaving something out there where anyone can see it, you cannot claim a reasonable expectation of privacy. Uh, so how does that imply to um, peeping toms? Like well, if they're you're, trespassing, right? No, but, like, like, if you're off their property and using binoculars, yeah. looking in their windows with no expectation of privacy, is that, like, fair game? Because I thought there I would was so, I guess. laws against that. Yeah, those two laws don't seem to mesh very well. Well, we know what you're going to be writing us in about next week. Either that or one law applies to the police and one law applies to citizens. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, commitment. The police also had grounds to enter the house if they thought Chuck was potentially dangerous to himself, which, given that th- what they saw in the window... And his crazy, crazy rambling was not out of the question. The law and commitment differs from state to state. So if there's a New Mexico quirk here, I'd need to research further. But generally speaking, adults can be committed for short periods on the order of 72 hours for a psych hold. If doctors mm-hmm. find evidence that the person cannot be released on their own, that hold can be extended. But it's clear that this wouldn't happen because Chuck became lucid and communicative, so he would probably be released on his own eventually, with or without Jimmy. On TV, it's a trope that a family member can have another uh, family member committed. That can happen, but it's a long and drawn-out process. Jimmy would first have to gain some type of legal power over Chuck, like become his legal guardian. That would require showing that Chuck was incapable of caring for himself, meaning some kind of severe mental defect. His electricity phobia, while odd, does not rise to the level of someone who is too disassociated from reality to tie their own shoes. As such, Jimmy's threat to have Chuck committed in the real world would likely be an idle one. 
So good because honestly, that's a huge fear of mine as an eccentric fellow. That you're going to be committed by a loved one? Well, just like every time I see something like that play out in Homeland where somebody Mm -hmm. gets involuntarily committed, it just makes me, my skin crawl. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm not claustrophobic, but the way people describe claustrophobia is the way I feel when I think about, like, being confined against your will, having people telling you're crazy, and keeping you there, and your reaction to that is demonstrating that you are crazy. Like, sure. I would act like a fucking crazy person if I was strapped to a bed and someone say, you can't leave here until we're satisfied you're not sane. Yeah. Oh, I'm get, ah, I'm sweating just thinking about it. <laughs> Shit. Uh, do you have anything to talk, uh, to comment on uh, Doug L's email uh, or should I move out of my personal hell and onto the next email? Yeah, you can leave your personal hell. I, I'd just like to thank him for sending in those remarks about it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I honestly don't know anything about that stuff. I don't know, like what the real deal is with Chuck and his firm. Like, all of that legal stuff is so far out of my sphere that Does it sometimes give you a little pause confusing. that there's so much stuff, machinery about the justice system and how things really work that the average person doesn't understand? Um, like, running a country, I imagine, is a complex thing. Certainly. And but still. I don't know that everyone can or should necessarily expect to understand it all. Hmm. I think I think there's a general level of education you can have about it. Yeah, uh, I'm not even there. I was gonna say it's but, shockingly low. Yes, like what yes. can police can and can't do? What are your rights? All that kind of stuff. Like the information is out there. You can certainly look into it, sure. but yeah, to maintain a working knowledge of that and stay up to date and all that stuff is incredibly difficult for an average citizen. It seems like being a lawyer, but is I think that's inc- by necessity is is an incredible social advantage. Yeah, probably. In a way that, like, being a doctor and an astrophysicist or anything like that where you actually have an undepth understanding of the real physical world yeah. isn't. And I think that's interesting. You're right. You're right. <laughs> and or terrifying. Um, Mr. Rock and Rock says, I got a comment on the mic segment. It was as impressive as it was deliberate. We got a glimpse of his workaday life. We got a peek at his home life and his home, for that matter. And when the nurse pulled out of her driveway, Breaking Bad fans knew exactly who she was. Well, some Breaking Bad fans. We think so, yeah. Uh, I'll bet non-Breaking Bad viewers had a good idea who she might be. Uh, It was a breadcrumb to us, but a compelling curiosity to them. Uh, Add to this sequence, or and the sequence was bookended by Saul's funny yet awkward Elder Law pitch and the intriguing visit by Philly's finest. In between, it was nearly five minutes of literal show, don't tell. With many pretenders lurking around these parts, it's nice to see worthy denizens of the Golden Age still sprouting up. Yeah, I fully agree, and a lot of people agree with you because it seems like Better Call Saul is a legitimate hit. I think so. It's yeah. pulling in like season four Breaking Bad numbers. It's outpacing Mad Men. Um, it's doing extremely well for us, so a lot yeah. of people are loving it. Uh, Soda Pop says, on your last podcast, you spent some time discussing Mike and wondering how and when he get connected to the criminal underground and the ABQ. I've wondered about this as well, but I've wondered if perhaps he's already connected. Could this work at a parking lot simply be a cover for what he really does? That was one of my theories. Is this how he launders money? What if he's already connected with Gus and he actually plays a major part in bringing Saul into this true calling as a criminal lawyer? Maybe at the end of this last episode is a hint that Mike isn't exactly the good, clean-cut ex-cop he'd like people to believe. I mean, we knew that. But we don't know exactly how and why and what the circumstances are. Do you feel like... I feel less inclined to think he is connected at this phase 
than I did previous episodes. How about you? Sure. Uh, I think the more information we get about Mike, the more I think he's just a toll booth attendant. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see him and Saul come at the criminal lawyer part kind of simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, I need to look again, but when Mike was eating the dinner or at the di- diner, was at the same diner that he and others would hold meetings <laughs> at in Breaking Bad? I'm thinking the scene specifically with him and Lydia. I don't think it was. That place is a lot brighter, a lot more contemporary looking. Yeah, I don't ever recall seeing a gun store across the street in those shots. Mm, that's harder to tell. So, and of course, it wasn't night, but I just feel yeah. like the shop that they usually met was a lot brighter. Maybe. I, I'm I'm not certain on that. Yeah. Uh, and that's all the feedback we got. If you'd like to send us more, uh, you can go and send it into Better Cast Saul, Cast Saul at baldmove.com. You can also get on our forums at forums.baldmove.com. We got a show thread for every episode where you can go in and talk about your uh, insights into the show. And uh, you got the Facebook thread that's got a uh, thread for each watch and each podcast on facebook.com slash baldmove. And you can always follow along everything we do and tweet at Jim at baldmove on Twitter. Yeah, do it. That's what we got. I'm there. I'm there. I'm talking. I was tweeting last night during the episode. It was uh, a lot of fun. I I tweeted out when he went to the ranch. I was like, is this Narnia? What is happening here? (laughs) I couldn't believe it. It was so uh, crazy. You had the lion. Uh All we needed was a witch and a wardrobe. Yeah, you had a fucking zebra stuffed back there. and It was wild, man. You think the guy still had money? Yeah. Really? It seemed like it, yeah. Hmm. Because it's like, you know, he had the like he felt like he had money, but I don't know if he has money. I don't know. He definitely has a lot of property. Well, that's not hard to come by in New Mexico, I yeah. wouldn't think. <laughs> in the middle of the desert. All right. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We will see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. <laughs>